Well, that is probably not one of the best-loved Christmas carols that you'll hear in church, but it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Uh, yesterday, it was beginning to look a lot like spring and tornado season. Tonight, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So uh, here we are, and uh, we, we did this last year to look at uh, some of those Christmas carols that we sing. And all the time, we, we sing the carols because that's what we do. It's Christmas time, and we sing Christmas carols. And sometimes, I think we don't know the words that we're singing, or maybe we don't know what they mean, or we, we maybe don't know the full theological meaning behind some of Christmas carols. Some of the, the words that we sing, the phrases that we hear, it, it goes back a long time or speaks some of the greatest truths of our faith in things that we would sing as just a simple little Christmas song. We all know it, and so the church is very wise that throughout history, we've, uh, we've often conveyed the truths of the faith in, in song because we tend to remember song uh, better than we do just learning things. So for instance, the, the, the beloved, the 12 days of Christmas that everyone loves to sing. Well, you, you can Google this. We're not gonna sing it tonight because it would take forever. It's kind of like the song that never ends sort of thing by the time you go all the way up to 12 and back down. But if you Google it, for instance, each of the, each of the little parts of it represents something like a partridge in a pear tree is, is, is Jesus. And you can get all the way up to the, the 12 apostles and the, the 10 commandments. And it was actually written as kind of a little catechism to help uh, children remember truths of the faith. It's easier if we do it in a song. And so part of what we'll, we'll see tonight is that some of our, our best loved songs uh, contain some pretty deep theology. And if we, we take the time to study it, then we, we might just uh, well learn something about our faith as well as have a good time singing. So this will be an audience participation sort of thing. Uh, so that's why you've all got the song sheet. It's a little, it's a little country Christmas sing-along. And if you didn't get a song sheet, you didn't get a song sheet here. I'll give you one. There you go. Now everyone's. Now you've all got song sheets, so there's no excuses. Um, so uh, we're blessed to have Sydney Bounds, our music director, who with us, who is is going to probably be a little organ. I don't know, a little piano. We got a little trumpet. It's a it's a smorgasbord of uh, musical delight tonight. Who brought the cookies? Okay, it's church, so we're not going to eat Christmas cookies in the church anyway. Uh, but as we get ready to uh, take a little look at songs, uh, why don't we take a, a moment to recognize the, the presence of the one who, well, is the reason for all the presents at Christmas, and the one whose presence is with us all the time, that sometimes I think we, we take for granted, and, and so now we just take a, a moment to thank Jesus for his presence here in the Eucharist, as he's always here, uh, and to prepare our hearts uh, during this Advent for his coming. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, we are so thankful that you are always with us. You are with us everywhere we go, and you are especially with us here in a presence that we call the real presence. So powerful is your presence in the Eucharist that it is truly you. And so as we prepare to commemorate your coming 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, more importantly, we realize that you come every day in the celebration of the Mass, and you are always here, and it is we who do not come to you. And so tonight, we do come. We come, all us faithful, joyful, triumphant, and we will sing our little hearts out to give thanks for your coming at Christmas, but most especially right tonight, as you do come to us, as you come every day. Bless those here with beautiful voices. You gave them their voices, so if they're not good, it's your fault. So let's, let's have good singing, beautiful participation, and uh, an enlightening Christmas evening filled with joy. We thank you for the beautiful gift of music and the arts 
Uh, may we continue to have more artists, and especially as the pandemic starts to lessen, we pray for a return to the performing arts, concerts, plays, music, all that. Uh, we give you thanks for these gifts, which we've been deprived of for some time, and rejoice tonight that we can come together and sing. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Hark the Herald Angels Sings, the first one uh, I, I put on there. And uh, it's a good one to kind of start off with. So what we'll kind of do is I think we'll, uh, we'll sing a little bit, and, and then we'll, we'll talk through uh, some of that. So, uh, Maestra over there, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. places in the Holy Land uh, when I was able to go to Bethlehem and I actually lived in Bethlehem for four weeks when I was in seminary. It was great. I went down each morning. I prayed at the manger where Jesus was born. Incredible places of historic importance. But one of my favorite places to go was actually the shepherd's fields. You can go to where, uh, to this day, the, the shepherds keep their fields and their, their sheep in the fields right outside Bethlehem. And I remember I was there and it was evening and the sun was setting and I I started to picture what it would be like to be there on Christmas night, and it was close. Uh, we were there in early De December, but it was, it was close to Christmas, and I could kind of envision, if I were a shepherd in this field, what would it look like to have all those angels singing, the herald angels, the messengers that are here to say, glory to God in the highest, that beautiful message that we have incorporated into the Mass that we sing most Sundays. Notice that we don't sing the, the Gloria at Sunday Mass during Advent because we're kind of saving it for Christmas, because that's the song of the angels. So we'll hear that again at, at Midnight Mass. 
Peace on earth, that's the message of the angels. Mercy, all that, God and sinners reconciled. Great. We, we all kind of know that part. I want to look at this other verse. The verse that everyone sings, but I wonder if we really know what's going on here. Okay, Christ by highest heaven adored. Okay, Christ is, is the word in, in Greek. Christos means anointed one. You might recognize the Hebrew better. The Hebrew is Mashiach or Messiah. So Christ is not Jesus' last name. It means anointed one. Uh, and so Messiah also means anointed one. So he is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, highest heaven. The angels, everybody is adoring him. Okay. Late in time, behold him come. We have to, if we're going to experience part of the joy of Christmas, we have to understand how much people were longing and waiting for the coming of the Messiah. It had been 400 years since the last prophecy of Malachi, the, the last book at the end of the Old Testament, since the, the time of David, almost 600 years. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, had, had prophesied uh, that uh, a set of, well, seven weeks of, of years, so 490 years, he had prophesied the Messiah would come, and all this is coming to a head, that according to the prophecy of Jeremiah, about zero AD, wasn't an AD at the time, but year zero, let's say, uh, the prophecy time was up, give or take seven years within this, so people were excited, it's late in time, people are starting to understand the Messiah should be coming, it's been a long time, we are ready, the Romans are oppressing us, spiritually there's trouble, the world seems to be a mess for us Jews, where's the Messiah? So late in time, in that we have to hear kind of the, the longing of the hearts for the Messiah to come. Okay, offspring of a virgin's womb. Now, obviously, the most deepest theological question that is going through your mind right now is how does come rhyme with womb? <laughs> Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb? I don't know. So no, that, that's actually not a deep theological question, but it is, uh, musically, we can rhyme things like come and womb, and it, it you know, they have similar letters. Uh, so, offspring of a virgin's womb. All right, we're so used to that. Sure, sure, Mary remained ever virgin. She was a virgin before, during, after the birth of Jesus. And she gave birth to Jesus. She's just a virgin who gave birth. It's just, you know, same old, same old virgin birth. Uh, no, that's mind-blown, uh, amazing. A virgin gave birth. Let's, uh, let's not forget the amazingness of God's story that he chose Mary to be his mother. And people often mistake the fact that, oh, well, Mary's a virgin to show that she wasn't like corrupted by having, you know, marital relations because that's bad and that's dirty. No, of course not. Theology of the church is marriage and marital relations are beautiful. It's a sacrament. Mary is a virgin to show that Joseph is not the father of the child. God is the father. Remember, behold, Mary, power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. God, the Holy Spirit, is the, the spouse of Mary that gives rise to this offspring in her womb. So that's why Mary is ever virgin. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Okay, fancy word. We say it all the time when we say the creed. Incarnate. Became incarnate of the Virgin Mary. The second person of the Most Holy Trinity. So, spoiler alert for those small and not following, three persons in the Holy Trinity. Tri, Trinity, three. Three gods, three gods. Three persons, one God. I was a heretic for a second. Three persons, one God. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Son, took on flesh. We call that the incarnation. Carne in, in Latin means flesh. So to become incarnate means that God, the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, who existed forever, at a moment in time, December 25th, year zero, took on our flesh, became incarnate. So that's why we can say, veiled in flesh, think incarnation, the Godhead, see, God is in the flesh. And that is one of the mind-blowing, deepest mysteries of all Christianity right there. And isn't it beautiful? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see. Yeah, make, you, make sure you know what you just sung there, because that's amazing. Hail the incarnate deity. There it is, incarnate, that word. Deity is, is a God. God is in the flesh. Those two beautiful lines. And then we might think that if God is going to become one of us, well, he's going to seem way out of place because we are fallen, broken, messed up sinners, and God is like way up there. So when he becomes one of us, well, we would automatically think if God's going to come, he's going to be upset. You know, this is, this is kind of like, wait till your father gets home sort of thing. <laughs> the world is a mess and God's coming. I mean, that, that might be the way we would look at it. If we were to, to say December 25th, year zero, God's going to show up. You might think he's going to show up, but he is going to be mad because we are not doing what we're supposed to do. But that's not what happens, is it? God comes not as some oppressive ruler who's going to wipe everything out because he's so mad. Rather, he comes as a, a little baby, one of us, and so there's this beautiful line, pleased as man with man to dwell. God dwelling with man seems like that, that's oil and water. Those two don't mix. And yet, the reason why it's so beautiful here, pleased as man, so just as like a human being would be perfectly happy around other human beings, at least sometimes. Uh, Christmas dinners sometimes exceptions. But most of the time, human beings are pleased to be with other human beings. We might worry that maybe God wouldn't like to be around us so much. Maybe he doesn't really like us. Nope. He's pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Now, there's some rhyming. That's nice. Dwell, Emmanuel. Good job on the rhyme there. Emmanuel is that Hebrew word that means God is with us. So all of these verses here, it's just, it's so beautiful. Failed in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. God becomes one of us. And not only does he just become one of us, he's, he's happy to be among us. He desires it out of his love. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so the angels can, can sing again. So next time you, you sing that, that second verse there of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, know that you are singing some of the deepest Trinitarian Christological theology in the history of the church. And it's all on a little Christmas carol that, you know, I, I think the three-year-olds might have sung today over at the little Christmas concert. Ask them if they know what an incarnate deity is. But you do, because you are, you are in. Okay, uh, here's, here's a quick little, quick little break. Um, we'll sing something with, uh, with, without uh, Cindy for a second here, because this one's pretty easy. Deck the Halls, just to, to get us going here. So, um, you guys know this one. Deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa la 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 la. Tis the season to be jolly, fa la 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 la. Don we now our gay apparel, fa la 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 la. Troll the ancient yuletide carol, fa la 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 la. 
that, that has nothing to do, uh, you would think, with Jesus. It's just holly and jolly and what could be great. Well, holly, uh, often uh, the green and red of the holly often are pointing to uh, the, the red, the blood of Christ, the, the green, the evergreen of the eternalness of, of God. So there's a, there's a whole theology behind holly. So I'm not even going to go into that. I want to I want to talk not so much about holly, but gay apparel. No, uh, we put on gay apparel, I suppose. Happy clothes. Remember when it used to mean happy? So yes, we put on happy clothes like those Christmas sweaters. The word I want to really mention is the Yuletide Carol. I don't know how often we troll something, but here we're going to troll the ancient Yuletide Carol. Listen, just a little quick advertisement for Yule. Uh, because lots of Christmas songs seem to talk about Yule. What is Yule? Not Yule Brenner. This is Yule. It's it's hard to nail down, but it probably starts as somewhat of a pagan sort of winter Germanic fest. That the Christmas tree is also German, by the way. It kind of comes from when they used to worship trees, and so there are a lot of kind of pagan celebrations around the winter solstice for various reasons. But eventually, Christians kind of take over this pagan Yule, uh, and it, it's an old English word that no one exactly knows what it means, even. Uh, but we sing about it all the time, don't we, at Christmas? Fast away, the old year passes, hail the new year, you know, all, the, all these things about Yule. Well, here's one of the traditions of Yule. Um, the 12 days of Christmas that I mentioned, part of the celebration of Yule was to go out and get a big log, hence the Yule log. Uh, this is a song by Run DMC. By the fireplace is the Yule log. Stand beneath the mistletoe as we drink eggnog. All right. Didn't think you were going to rap tonight, but there it is. The Yule log. Um, Yule, you would get a big old log, and you would burn it each night for 12 nights. Over the, So it had to be a big log. Uh, and then when you were done, apparently one of the traditions is you take the Yule log, and you stick it under a bed for good luck to ward off, of all things, fire. I don't know. Just know that Yule is a pagan thing that eventually got Christianized a little bit, and now it just seems something fun to sing about at Christmas. So when you hear Yule, go Google that and see what Wikipedia has to say about Yule. There's a whole bunch. Okay. Meanwhile, back at the Christian ranch, um, where we're singing uh, religious songs, O Come All Ye Faithful. This is the one that if anybody knows a song in Latin at Christmas, I got people that if you ask, if you ask your grandparents and things like that, Adeste Fidelis. People know they got you got images of Bing Crosby singing Adeste Fidelis in, in Latin and things. Um, it means "Oh, oh, come all you faithful," uh, basically. Uh, and so sometimes we'll actually sing a verse of this in Latin. We're gonna we're gonna sing it in English here. We've got um, we got three verses of this, Cindy, and uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the theology in. Uh, O come, all ye faithful.
second verse. That was deep. Yeah, I mean, when, when we, uh, every Sunday at Mass, when we say the, the Nicene Creed, you know, we all get up and we say the Nicene Creed, and I believe in one God, the Father, Almighty, all that. Um, you know, that's actually supposed to be sung. Uh, the, the instructions for Mass indicate that things that should be sung would include things like the Gloria, the Creed, the Holy Holy, the Lamb of God, things like that. I don't know when the last time we sung the Creed was that normal parishes you do it all all the time in like the extraordinary form of latin mass because if you sing creed's one of the things you sing we just basically kind of sang a bit of the creed didn't we god from god light from light true god from true god begotten not made well there it is god of god light of light so this is the the exact words of the council of nicaea in the fourth century and here we got little kids singing this you know just like it's just their everyday speech god of god light of light true god from true god um again we've got this this little bit Though he abhors not the virgin's womb, womb, um, very God, begotten, not created, true God from true God, begotten, not created, consubstantial with the Father. Sound, sound familiar? This is all saying something that it took us a lot of fighting to, to figure out, but, but by 325 AD, we were able to finally say that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. Now, you might be saying, well, of course, <laughs> basic theology, Father Sean. Uh, not so basic for the first couple hundred years of the church. This got fought about a lot because we see Jesus going around doing all kinds of miracle stuff that you might say, well, he's God. Only God can raise people from the dead and make lame people walk and all this. Clearly, Jesus is God. Other people would say, well, 
Um, he's, he's crying over the death of his friend Lazarus. He gets, he gets hungry. He gets tired. He prays. He's clearly a human being. He, every, I mean, look at him. We walk and we talk with him. He's, he's obviously human. Is he human or is he God? And for the first couple hundred years, we really duped it out over this. Which is it? And eventually the church said, uh, I got it. Both? Yes. Correct answer. Both. True God, true man. He is very God. And this little bit begotten, not created. This is a, a direct contradiction of a heresy espoused by a priest named Arius, who created the Arian heresy, that said that Jesus was created. He's the highest of all creation. He's the, the best thing God ever created, but he's not God. He's just a really, 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 really exalted creature. Well, when Arius tried to espouse this at the Council of Nicaea, a certain bishop got up and punched him in the nose. Now, this is the, the hidden story of Christmas. That bishop who punched Arius in the nose was St. Nicholas. Jolly old St. Nicholas got up at the Council of Nicaea and heard Arius saying Jesus isn't really God, and he just punched him in the nose. True story, at least as far as we can tell. Santa Claus got arrested. For, for, he did. Uh, they, they busted him out, and eventually uh, the Arian heresy was defeated. St. Nicholas wins the day, and we can now sing that he was begotten, meaning he, he was born, but unlike a, a little baby, when they're, they're born from their mother's womb, that's the beginning of their creation. Jesus existed before his birth. Again, he's the second person of the Holy Trinity. He existed outside time for all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In time, late in time even, we behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. He enters incarnation, the flesh, uh, but that is not his beginning. He is begotten, he is not created, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Again, we're, we're singing the creed. Come, let us adore him. Uh, last thing I'll point out and I'll come, all you faithful, uh, yea, Lord, be greet thee, born this happy morning. This song is just just about has to be sung Christmas morning. Is it really Christmas morning without Adeste Fidelis? I don't think so. Um, but then um, we get we get the, the Christmas chord, I call it. Oh, that, I forget the name of that chord on Word. It's just an incredible uh, chord that's got this little diminished note in it that, that just, it's, it's not your typical major chord. It's a unique chord on that one. But Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. I don't know, it sounds like something that you know, like should be on a marquee outside a movie theater. Jesus Christ, now in flesh appearing. You're like, he's like, this week only, now in flesh appearing. Okay, uh, word of the Father. So the second person of the Holy Trinity, also referred to as the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. St. John's Gospel. The Word is another reference to the second person of the Holy Trinity. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke and said, let there be. The Word goes forth and creates everything. That Word, the Word, the second person of the Holy Trinity that was present at the beginning of the creation, exists outside of creation, now in flesh appearing. Again, incarnation, takes on flesh, but he existed long before that. So... Nice, nice little setting of part of the, uh, the creed. Uh, so if you ever think, wow, we can't sing the creed. Well, we, we do at Christmas uh, all the time, at least part of it. And there are musical settings of the creed. But next time you sing, oh, come on, you faithful, realize uh, Santa Claus punched a priest in the nose over this. So it's, it's a big deal. Okay, now here's, here's one that um, we all know and love. And uh, when I was in Bethlehem and I would go each morning to the manger and just kind of sit there, I'd literally... 
I, I went down in the little cave where Jesus is born. Normally, you just kind of get herded through. You're like, okay, it's my turn. There's where Jesus is born. There's the manger. You're like, come on, come on, come on. And there's like, you know, people ushering you through. I, I just got to go there. And I, I literally sat like right here. The, the manger's right there in the place where Jesus is born. I just sat there. And the song that I heard most often, e even from Muslim women who would come down, they have a great devotion because of Mary uh, to come to where Jesus was born, Silent Night. I heard Silent Night in so many languages sung in the little cave where Jesus was born. And this is one where I don't know if it would be midnight mass without Silent Night. As, as much as Oh Come All You Faithful is like born this happy morning, you gotta have Silent Night at midnight mass. So let's sing a couple, two verses of uh, Silent Night. We don't know exactly probably what time Jesus was born, but liturgically we've come to, to celebrate it in the, the night of, of Christmas night. All is calm, all is bright. And then we've got Ron John version. Or, that's how I always thought of it as a kid. Round yon virgin. Again, we've got this, this virgin who's given birth. So let's marvel at that. The holy infant sleep in heavenly peace. So apparently Jesus was a really good baby. He slept. But then we get to the second verse. Son of God. Again, a lot of Christology, we would call it, in these Christmas songs. Who is Jesus? He's, he's the Son of God. The second person of the Lord. Well, it looks like he's the Son of Mary. Yes. But Son of God, also yes. So, Son of God, Son of Mary, foster son of, of Joseph, loves pure light. If we think of the whole Trinity as love, 
then it's, it's almost as if a ray of that, that light from the Holy Trinity shines down and, and is incarnate in Jesus. Radiant beams from thy holy face, the dawn of redeeming grace. That's amazing. The, the idea of grace is itself a really complex theological thing to understand. And yet in this little baby, we see that he has come to redeem. Literally, it means to, to buy back, to, to pay the ransom for uh, us who are, are dead in our sins. This little baby has come with redeeming grace. We could not be saved on our own. That's another heresy. Pelagianism. Pelagius was, again, a, a religious guy who says somehow we could, we could work our way to heaven by, by good works. Ain't going to happen. No matter how good you are, you're not going to get to heaven without the help of God. We need redemption. We need someone to pay the debt of our sins that we can't pay because God is infinite. Even the smallest sin offends an infinite God. How could we ever make up for all of our sins? We can't. And God loved us so much that rather than say, I don't like you very much. You guys are all messed up. Get out of my sight. It's like, no, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to help. So he comes with redeeming grace. He's the one we offended. We offended God with our sins, but he knows how weak and broken and vulnerable we are. So he comes as someone who is weak and, and vulnerable as a little baby. But that little baby comes with redeeming grace. And then the lines that we don't even think about. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Now, Jesus is, of course, the name that was given to Mary and, and Joseph in, in the case of Gabriel, the archangel, and the angel that comes to Joseph in a dream and says, you are to name the child Jesus. In Hebrew, this is Yeshua. It's the same word for Joshua, same name, that, that led the chosen people into the, into the Holy Land and brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, that, the promised land. Joshua leads people. Yeshua, it means... God's salvation means God, God saves, kind of. Uh, and that, that name indicates Jesus' whole mission. He is here as God to save us. And the part that we might miss, Lord. Lord is kind of a throwaway word almost in English now, but in, in Hebrew, the, the word for Lord is Adonai. And as we will see uh, coming up in these, these upcoming days, one of the titles... Of, of God that we hear in the antiphons at Vespers is O Adonai. Adonai is the Hebrew word for Lord, but it, it's not just any word for Lord, because you'll remember in the burning bush when God encounters Moses, and Moses says, hey, what's your name? I gotta go to Pharaoh, and if he asks who sent me, I need to know, like, who are you? And God reveals his name, and he says, I am who am. In Hebrew, it's, it's probably Yahweh, something like that. But here's the deal. Remember, in the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of thy Lord thy God in vain. So don't misuse God's name, Yahweh. Well, in order to avoid misusing the name Yahweh, they, they created what's called a fence around the law. And so they said, I know what we'll do. To make sure we never use God's name in vain, we just won't use his name at all. We will never say Yahweh. Instead, whenever the scriptures have the name of God, Y-H-W-H, four letters, Yahweh, Instead of saying Yahweh, we will substitute the word Adonai for Yahweh, which means Lord. So when you see Adonai, read, that's God's name. Jesus, this little baby who has the proper name Jesus, is also the great I Am, Adonai, Yahweh. Jesus, 
Lord, Adonai, at thy birth. That's pretty awesome. Mind blown Christology right there. Um, okay, how are we doing? I, I put some things on here. All right. Um, how about uh, how about a little poem? I, I put on here the the long poem one. The uh, I heard the bells on on Christmas Day. This is, this is a song as well. Uh, we're not gonna we're gonna we're not gonna sing all this. I'm actually gonna read it. Um, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, good will to men. That's the, that's the tune you probably uh, hear. It was really satisfying. My very first Christmas here, three, three Christmases ago, you remember we, that when I got here, the bells were not working. And um, I'm like, we have bells, they don't work. And so I went in with my electrical engineering background and I like ripped that out. I bought new parts, I rewired everything. And uh, I got it done just in time for Christmas. And there I was on Christmas morning standing out and I, I showed Father Mark how to turn on the bells. And so the, the bells are ringing after Christmas mass and the song that it was playing was actually, I heard the bells on Christmas day. So it was kind of nice. But uh, this is much, um, this is about the sadness of war. He's writing this in the middle of the, the world war and we can see how it seems like, in the midst of what should be a happy season, there's there's darkness. What do we do, uh, especially right right now? We're singing all these happy songs, and there, there's a bit of pressure, I think, at Christmas to think, well, it should be happy time. It's Christmas. Cheer up. Well, there, there's nothing magical about the, the season of Christmas that should automatically like cure depression and make us all happy or something like that. In fact, there's there's a lot of tough stuff going on uh, with with COVID and all the complications still from that. Um, imagine that you're in the middle of a, a war. How do you how do you find joy at Christmas? Well, the real message of Christmas is not some sentimentality or just, oh, I, I feel good. Give me some more eggnog and a fruitcake. You know, it's, it's much more, we need saving. And a savior has been born and come and we'll make sure that we will be saved if we want him. We've been redeemed. Redeeming grace has shown upon us. We, we can go to heaven when all this is said and done. And we, we don't have to worry that somehow if this world is a mess, well, this world is not all there is. So that's the real hopeful message of Christmas. So here are these beautiful words. I, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. Wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men.
that's the, the real hopeful message there of, of Christmas. Not that everything feels great, that even in the midst of war, there's this hope that in the end, there will be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. How many times we need to be reminded of that? There are so many times in life when things seem down, where everything seems to go wrong, where it seems like God is not listening to my prayers, why doesn't he answer my prayers the way I think he should answer them? Is God dead? And of course, that's mocking the, the atheist philosopher Nietzsche at the time who said, God is dead. Writes back Longfellow, no, God is not dead. He's not even asleep. He's got it under control. And in the end, the wrong will fail, the right prevail. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And we have some bells. It's nice. All right, uh, that means we have 15 more minutes. Um, Let's take a look at Of the Father's Love Begotten. This is um, a Christmas carol a little bit that is, is more like a chant. Um, in fact, it was originally written as kind of a chant, so it, uh, it doesn't have um, like a, a set kind of bouncy meter that, that forces you along. Chant is more kind of free-flowing, so it, it, it speaks of some, some kind of, I would say, almost ethereal truths of our faith, so it's, it's very sweet. But, but tell some very deep things. So two verses here of, of the Father's love begotten. born it's of the father's love 
not by the normal generation of man and woman coming together, but rather by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, the Father's love. In the, the language of St. Augustine, he speaks of the Holy Trinity as a communion of love. The Father loves the Son, gives all his love to the Son, and the Son receives the love and mirrors it back in gift to the Father, and the love between them is the Holy Spirit, so real that it's actually a third person in the Holy Trinity. So it's of that love, Notice, ere the worlds began to be, before there was time, before there was the world, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they exist. Alpha, Omega, right from the scriptures, the beginning, the end, the source, the ending, he, of the things that are, that have been, that future years will see, of everything that was, ever has been made, that ever will be made, he is God, created it all. And then we have the birth, forever blessed, the virgin, full of grace, by the Holy Ghost conceiving, there it is again, bore the Savior of the race. This babe is the world's redeemer. And it's, what beautiful language. He first revealed his human face. He existed forever. But now in this little baby, we can look on the face of God. It's absolutely incredible. Beautiful, beautiful language there. Okay, now that I mentioned is a little chant. I want to... I want to share with you, uh, so far, all the, all the things we've looked at, all the Christmas carols, everything, have been songs uh, that we've written about Christmas, and that we often will, will sing at Christmas time, and sometimes we sing at Mass. So everything we, we just sung, other than like, well, Deck the Halls, um, and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, um, those, uh, we would sing at Mass. However, uh, the Mass itself as well as the rest of the liturgy of the church has, has its own beauty. There are certain texts that have been written specifically for the, the masses and the, the prayers throughout the day of Christmas. So the one I want to share with you next is, is not a Christmas carol, I suppose, at all. Rather, it's taken right out of the breviary or the, the liturgy of the hours that gets prayed every day by the priest and religious. And this, this next one, Omahu Mysterium in Latin, it, it's just an antiphon. It's, it's literally an antiphon, a, a short phrase that is, is inserted before one of the psalms. There are nine psalms at Matins, the earliest office of, of Christmas, and, and this is one of those antiphons. O Magi Mysterium, O great mystery, et admirable, and wonderful, sacramentum ut animalia viderent dominum natum, that, that animals should see the, the newborn Lord Yacentum uh, in Persepio, lying in a manger. Beata Virgo, blessed, blessed is the Virgin. Cuius Vishra, meruerent portari dominum Jesum Christum. But blessed is the Virgin whose womb was worthy to bear Jesus Christ. Now, maybe that's not the singable, hummable kind of thing like, oh, come all you faithful or heart to heart angels sing. But I, I'm going to play a recording of, of this, which is my favorite version of it. Um, this, to me, is my favorite Christmas song. And it, when, I, when I get ready for Midnight Mass, I, I turn this on and I listen to it. And this is what, to me, uh, is musically what I think best, best captures uh, what Christmas, if I had to say what does Christmas sound like, um, this, this is what does it for, for me anyway.
almost don't want to break the silence of that. It's so beautiful. That, uh, that, simple, that simple line, that's the actual church's liturgy right there. The only thing on this sheet front or back that is actually part of the official liturgy of the church for Christmas is that right there. A mystery is something that comes from a, a Greek word, muao, which means to, to be silent, to shut the mouth, literally. Because in the end, Christmas, all this talk of Godhead and God becoming one of us and taking on flesh and being revealed, it, it's all just can be pie in the sky and we'll never be able to exhaust the great incredibleness of what it means to say that God who created everything chose to enter his own creation and, and not even as a conqueror, but as a little baby. Oh, great mystery. Monum mysterium. Admirabile. It's wonderful. And it's a sacrament. Sacramentum is the word in which physical, tangible things are used to express an invisible reality of God's grace. How could we show that God is with us any better than he, he takes on our own flesh? And, and notice the people who are there to greet him, animals. Animale. Animals should see the newborn Lord. Not a court. He's not born in Jerusalem in Herod's palace. Notice when the Magi go to look for the king, where do they go? They go to Herod's palace in Jerusalem. He's not there in the palace. He's in a, he's a little cave in Bethlehem. And who's there to greet him? Animals are there to see the newborn Lord lying in a manger. And then I love musically that there's this, this when it goes to Virgo, virgin, uh, it's, it's a diminished minor chord in there. And the, the composer did that to, to show the suffering that Mary would endure, not just in bringing forth Jesus as a baby, but on the cross, pointing forward, blessed is the virgin whose womb was worthy to bear the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's, uh, let's close it out with a little joy to the world, because nothing is Christmas like that, and, uh, and maybe I'll have one little trumpet for you thing as you go. But let's, let's give a, a couple, uh, two verses here of, of joy to the world, because how can you end Christmas Mass without joy to the world? sins and sorrow, thorns infest the ground. This is all about sin. The reign of sin. Ever since we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, we could not go to heaven. 
It's like the, the curse. Far as the curse is found, that's how far Jesus' redeeming love comes to save us. Everywhere original sin is propagated and the world is fallen and broken, well, joy to the world. Sins and sorrows, no more. Thorns no longer infest the ground because he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. So I, I thank you for, for coming tonight and singing a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with... Uh, well, we, we started with a little a little something secular, so uh, people asked for a little trumpet. And, and by the way, if you want tonight's talk uh, or anything uh, on here, my website is seanthebaptist.org. I'll put this talk up there. But also, I recorded a bunch of trumpet, my trumpet for Christmas. So if you want, um, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas or this next song that I'm going to play. Uh, all my trumpet Christmas music and some other stuff is, in fact, uh, on my website. And you are, are welcome to go. Go to seanthebaptist.org and uh, click on trumpet on the uh, the top, and you'll you'll get it. So here is my wish for you uh, as we as we leave. And uh, thanks again for coming and singing.
Again, thank you all so very much. Glad to be with you. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Happy Advent, and have yourself a merry little Christmas.